everybody. Welcome to the American Songwriter Podcast Network. This is All Heart with Paul Cardall. Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Cardall. This is All Heart. My guest today is somebody who Rolling Stone Magazine believes everyone should know. I first met Brandon Stansel at the Love Loud Festival in Salt Lake City. That is the festival that is in support of our friends and family in the LGBTQ plus community that was started by Dan Reynolds, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons. Brandon is a special young man because not only has he been around entertaining and performing in music his whole life, but he is the first country artist to have a video premiere on CMT that addresses the LGBTQ plus themes. So he's clearly paving the way for a lot of people, and I'm thrilled to welcome him as my guest on All Heart. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm better now. I'm excited to have you on my show. Oh, I'm excited to be here. How you been? <laughs> been doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Nashville's a little stormy today, but uh, it's beautiful. We were in Cleveland seeing my wife's mother who fell, but she's fine. Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland, Tennessee. Right? <laughs> it's Cleveland, uh, Ohio. Okay. Uh, I know, I, I learned that. I learned that there was a Cleveland down here. There is. I, that's actually where I'm from, I'm right outside of Chattanooga, between like Cleveland and Chattanooga is where I grew up. Really? Literally? Yeah. Like every time I put in Cleveland to go to Ohio, I end up driving like, south. So now I know. <laughs> Yeah, they really want you to go visit, but don't. <laughs> Brandon, I learned that on the documentary. Oh gosh, hey. Three chords in that. By the way, I have to say congrats on the release a couple weeks ago. Um, it's so good. I I knew that Ty was doing that, but I didn't know you were a part of it. So it was fun to see your name pop up. You know, it's funny because when I first came to Nashville, I, Ty was, Ty Herndon was the first country artist I met. Oh, really? Like, I didn't know any country artists. I come from this classical crossover world. I knew yeah. a couple guys out in Utah, you know, that were doing it, but not Nashville guys. So I met Ty and Ty invited me to a party. This was a private party. He invited me and my wife and we showed up and we were the only straight couple. <laughs> but here's what was funny is I had just moved from Utah. Oh yeah. So I was outed that night as a Mormon, <laughs> which I was like, try, I was trying, like, when it comes to faith, I'm like, I'm trying to keep this under wrap because yeah. I'm a Christian and I'm in a, the Bible belt and the gays out me as a Mormon at the party, so. <laughs> nice little icebreaker, right? <laughs> oh, no, they were all like, hmm. <laughs> is, is he a spy? What is he doing? <laughs> That's amazing. So um, it, was, it was awesome. And how wait, how long have you guys been there? How long have you been in Nashville? We've been here for, you know, we're going on four years. Okay. Three years as far as living. Yeah. Because we, it, we were, I drove through here on a whim to go to Cleveland after we were doing something in New Orleans. Okay. And after we, we came through for like a day or two. And after, and I the thought of Nashville, like why would I come to Nashville? But uh, we were up in 
Kentucky and my wife looks at me and I look at her and you just have that feeling. Yeah. God just like, go back to Nashville. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so we ended, up, we ended up staying in a hotel for a month with, I mean, I had like a full blown business. I had everything out there, full label, yeah. full everything. Why here? And obviously it led to opportunities where I'm able to do more advocacy work and yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it was either that retire. No, (laughs) too young, too young. I don't, I don't know how you quit music period. I don't know. Anyway. No, I mean, man, well, I can, I can definitely see where it just gets to be a lot, you know, but there, I think, all of us know that even when it gets at its most stressful and at at its most frustrating, you know, on those days where you feel like you're pushing up against a brick wall, you know you would do it anyway. Um, so I think that's kind of a nice like little seat to sit in. <laughs> hey, like, hey. Well, that's not bad coming from a guy who Rolling Stone says, the country artist everyone should know. So that's good thing, man. <laughs> Feeling that's like, yeah, I mean, if, you know, I think it's so weird. Like you, you grow, I grew up kind of feeling like, it, you know, your lane and then like you become an adult and you're like, wait a second, am I, am I supposed to be in that world? Like, cause there's just so many hurdles to jump over. Um, but kind of once you find your space and you like really do kind of lean into it, um, Anyway, I, I feel like I'm. I feel like that's kind of where I am right now. The past four or five years have just been kind of like jumping over things, uh, but I really feel like I'm starting to find my lane um, a lot more. That's why I'm excited to talk to you because yeah. you you've been on such an interesting and I was about to say a unique journey, but I think there's a lot of people who are in your same situation but you've been very blessed and fortunate to be surrounded with some very good people that have been very encouraging. Because I remember early on uh, lunches with Ty Herndon and I'd start asking him, you know, who else is, is doing this? And you would come up constantly. Like, he's like, you have to hear Brandon Stansel's music, everything about Brandon. He is amazing. And I started listening and I loved it right off the bat. And then, and then you know, we met in Utah at the Love yeah. Loud. And it was kind of fun because in the documentary that, that, that's just come out, everybody, there's this amazing documentary called Three Chords and a Lie. We're gonna talk about it, but, um, and you can get it on iTunes or whatever, but it's like very, 2.99, I downloaded it. I watched, I'm like, hey, here's my head. Yeah. <laughs> so in the, it, the greatest moment, you'll see the head of, of Paul Cardall <laughs> walking on the Love Loud set with, in between Brandon Stansel and Ty Herndon. That's right. We were a little trio that day. That was a lot of fun. And that was actually the very beginning of that documentary. You know, we, um, I was being the annoying one and toting a camera crew around with me um, the entire day. But we didn't know what we needed and what we didn't um, at that point because we were just getting started. So... It was like film as much as we can. So we filmed that entire day and used maybe four seconds of it. <laughs> it was <laughs> the entire uh, thing. 
but it yeah. was brilliant because right off the bat, it shows you in your element. You are on yeah. stage. Yeah. There are thousands of people excited to watch the performance. And then you take us back. You take us back to the beginning that, and I didn't know, I didn't know you were an Opryland Backstreet Boy. No. Well, I think Backstreet Boy is not the right term. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, that's where I, I grew up performing at Opryland before the, they tore down the theme park in 1996. But I started working there in 1994. The first show I ever did was at the Opry House. It was this Easter show. They used to do it during the, they used to do like matinees. And then at night, they would switch it over for the Grand Ole Opry. Um, so I lived, the, I mean, uh, that was the first thing that I ever did. It was, you know, on, on stage, really. Um, and uh, it was just so funny because I got to you know, I was living in this world where I was doing this show, but like after it was over, I would see them just kind of like switching the sets. And, and that was kind of my first introduction to what the Grand Ole Opry was. And I would see, I have a pretty crazy story about meeting Faith Hill for the first time that she ever sang on the Opry uh, back in 94, cause she came in, like all of the people that were playing that night would come in early as we were leaving. So here I am this six year old kid running around just meeting all these people. Um, and that's kind of, that I kind of in the back of my head credit that time in my life to like it like kind of sowing the seeds for what I I knew I wanted to be a singer I didn't know I wanted to do country music even though that's what I grew up on but man just seeing those those people uh, get to the Opry House and kind of gear themselves up for their you know their debut nights was yeah kind of stuck with me well there there you are prepping the stage for Faith Hill right. you know? <laughs> I was getting proud more of that. That's right. That's right. So at that time, as a six-year-old up until, you know, you uh, became an adult, how involved was your mom and your dad as a child with your performance and your music career? Yeah, they were, I mean, my they were my biggest advocates, really, you know, because I, we lived in Chattanooga. So my parents would drive me back and forth to Nashville multiple, multiple times a week. Uh, my mother always still tells people that I owe her. <laughs> should probably do um but um yeah i mean we they were they were just hauling my ass all all across the state of tennessee um you know my mom taught kindergarten and she would get off at like 2 15 in the afternoon we would get in the car we drive to nashville i'd play a show we'd get back in the car we'd drive home get home about 1 2 o'clock in the morning and turn around and do it all again the next day so um, basically spent every penny that I made uh, working on gas <laughs> to get us to and from. Um, but man, it was just the best experience as a little kid. It was where I was happiest. I just loved being on stage. I loved performing. And there were no, uh, there, was, there wasn't a better group of performers really in the world um, that I could have been around. Everyone was just so good um, and just so, you know, they're just pros. Uh, and I started working with them when I was a little kid. So I felt like I, I got to learn a lot uh, really young. I'm curious how many of those other performers are now doing, uh, having careers like you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, you know, my friend, Natalie Stovall, who um, mm -hmm. grew up as an Opryland kid, uh, is in the, um, uh, is in a country band uh, right now called Runaway June, which is, they just had a oh, that's huge, right huge song come out this year um i've had you know so there there are a bunch of opera you know she's just one uh that i can think of off the top of my head but there are um 
that place was like a breeding ground for performers. So <laughs> that sounds only, bad, but it no, was really good. A breeding ground. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine. Wait, that's a Mercy Me song. Okay. Um, how, how, how much was, for those that haven't seen the documentary, how much was faith part of your childhood? Like religion, was that like something you had to do or just something you did? No, I mean, it was, uh, there was a weird, uh, when I was really young, we weren't uh, too dialed in. But then um, my dad kind of had this like, uh, you know, religious kind of turning when I was in early middle school, maybe like late elementary school. Um, and so we started to get, you know, really involved in the church. And then I first, you know, as I was getting into high school, got very personally, you know, involved and was leading worship and leading worship for kids and teaching vacation Bible schools. And I just, you kind of threw myself in, into it. Um, and, uh, you know, I did that for multiple reasons. You know, I, I honestly felt like that was kind of what I was supposed to be doing and what I wanted to do. And I felt a, a real, um, leading to do those sorts of things. And I obviously loved working with kids and loved the people at my church a lot. Um, so that was something I was, I was really, you know, I was really passionate about. So I really took, took it and, you know, as my own, uh, for a long time. And, uh, yeah, so we were, we were pretty, pretty involved growing up. And most people are familiar with the fact that your first big video on CMT, you, I mean, you really said history. You, you made history. Um, obviously, there were artists before trying to pave the way. Ty Herndon, Shelley Wright, a bunch of other artists. But you were the first to actually address LGBTQ plus themes in a music video. That's fast forward. I want to go back. When did your parents start to, because there's so many people that deal with their sexuality and challenges with the moralist society, the people who believe you have to do this and this and this and this, and that everything is, you know, a certain way. When you start to share with your parents, I guess your coming out story, because it is a big part of your music, because you do discuss these things. And um, do you feel like you need to talk about those things? Or, you know, cause like, <laughs> bear with me. I have a heart problem. I was born with this. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't choose my heart defect. I've got this scar as evidence that, you know, I've been worked on. They, they've tried to fix me. You know, so I've had all these heart issues and now I have a new heart. Um, and it's integrated into my music and my story. It's who I am. And so I do a lot of advocacy for people with heart problems. You are very open about your sexuality. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always been pretty honest and saying that I, I felt like for me, uh, you know, advocacy and artistry kind of go hand in hand. I can't imagine doing one without the other. And a big part of that is because, um, you know, we talk about, a, you know, a fight for equality for queer people in this country and around the world. And we're just so far from it. You know, we've had a lot of steps forward, but we've had a lot of steps back, especially over the past few years. And, and the, we're still struggling to just find our place and space for equal treatment for queer people. 
Um, and so I think that there are multiple ways to do that. You know, I, I work uh, with different nonprofits and organizations across the country. I uh, partnered with uh, Quality California here in, uh, in California to help them kind of uh, push out different initiatives through music. Like we did a big um, uh, get out the vote effort uh, that I covered a Tracy Chapman song that um, went out a few weeks, you know, a few weeks before the election. And then um, I work with uh, a nonprofit that's in the documentary called Launchpad Nashville that take in homeless yeah. youth, um, which they, you know, an over uh, a majority of the kids they take in happen to be queer. Um, and uh, so I have a real heart for that. And, um, you know, I, I work a lot with GLAAD, um, which their main mission is to uh, increase and advance the uh, visibility of queer people in media, which I think is important, including music. Um, so I kind of got my hands in a lot of different uh, places and spaces, uh, but I think they're all important because we have a long way to go and we have a lot to do. Uh, and I think I can do that best through music. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, when you look at specifically the country music genre, you know, it, you don't think of country music and think of, oh, all the gay people <laughs> that are singing. Um, but, and I don't think that that is, that is as important as there being someone that is sharing queer stories in the space. Um, and uh, so anyway, you know, that's, uh, they've always kind of gone hand in hand for me. Um, I started writing music long after I came out. Uh, I'd been singing my whole life, but, and performing my whole life, but I didn't start writing music until after I came out. So, um, you know, I had a lot of life lived um, by the time that I started writing my own songs. And a lot of, a lot of the things I felt most passionate about writing about was, you know, involved my coming out experience and, um, my life is a queer person. Your life has been a country song. <laughs> it is, it is, it is a visual aid. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up on it and, uh, I'm always a sucker for a good sad song. So it's no, it's no wonder why I write so many of them. <laughs> because yeah, your song hurt people. One of the, greatest hooks, one of the greatest lines, hurt people, hurt people. I knew they wouldn't understand, but I told them anyway. And 10 years later, I'm still waiting for time to heal this pain. My daddy said, I want you to know that we're not proud of you. So I left home all on my own, just like hurt people do. They always told me, got your mother's eyes, and I saw it clearly as we both cried. And the cycle keeps going, and now it's my heart that's broken. Oh, you can hide your scars, ignore your pain, but it all comes out in other ways. And you don't know when, so you're living on pins and needles. So we do Like we're all the same Nobody's good, nobody's evil But hurt people hurt people Where did that come? Hurt people Well, you know, that's a, that is a, um, I won't call it a colloquialism, but it's uh, definitely a, a phrase that I've heard in a lot of different, you know, coming out of a lot of different people's mouths, whether it be, you know, from 
you know, from something serious to something more, you know, comedic. Um, but uh, I, so I, I've heard that before, uh, before I wrote that song. Um, and, uh, but man, I just, I've, I, I connected so deeply with it because it just felt so in line with my story. Um, and, and honestly, in a way, um, kind of helped me process a little bit because, you know, I, I written this song Hometown years ago and put it out. And that was kind of my song that said, you know, I'm thankful for the things I went through because it made me who I am. And that's someone that I'm really proud of. And I think that's a, that's a step that a lot of queer people have to take, you know, like, I, I don't think that my brother ever had to come to terms with his, you know, sexuality and figure out how to, you know, function in the world around him as a straight white man living in the South, right? Like, um, but I had to, like, really go through years and years of just, like, soul searching and therapy and, and, and just figuring out how I can function in a world that doesn't, doesn't fully appreciate gay people. Um, so that was tough. And, and that, you know, that kind of lives in that song. But, you know, on the, you know, I've lived a lot of life since I've written that song. And since I've kind of, uh, you know, said those things. Um, and I kind of fall back onto the, this feeling that, you know, if I'm honest, I still struggle with, you know, family relationships with, you know, fallouts and with um, just my day to day life trying to push, you know, forward. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that has really helped me is just recognizing the humanity in people and, you know, and hurt people hurt people, I think is just a, is a very human feeling. Um, yeah. You know, that we are all fallible people trying to do our best, uh, but we inevitably fail um, and we hurt people around us. And that's, you know, that's just an inevitable thing. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means that, you know, we have to try to be better than uh, we were the day before. So that song has really helped me and I hope that it, it has found the ears of the people that, you know, needed to hear it. There's such beautiful lines in there. It says, you can hide your scars ignore your pain, but it all comes out in other ways. I mean, that's just, and the fact that we pass our pain down subconsciously without even knowing. Yeah. The way we treat or teach our children, because a friend of mine, uh, JD Neto, uh, he told me the other day something very interesting. He said, when I was born, I, I knew God and then everybody started telling me about him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, I, what was I going to say to you? <laughs> um, people, I, oh, people. yeah. Well, what I was going to say to you just about that is I, I think that generally, like generationally, I think the song is um, is interesting because you know I I think I I am this like weird bridge of a generation where like we're kind of like the therapy uh, you know generation you know but like my parents didn't do that um, you know if something happened to them or they had an experience like it was more more or less like they're not going to talk about it than they would 
err on the side of talking about it, you know? So I think that that, you know, the line you quoted is from that kind of experience. It's just like, I, I never, I, I mean, like my, my parents never talked about, you know, their, like any kind of bad, really bad experience or like, uh, things that they had, but um, I know that those happened in their world, but they were just kind of all bottled up. Whereas like me, I'm an open book. You can ask me whatever you want. I will give you all my dirty laundry and more. Um, but uh, I think this, again, I think it's a generational thing. Um, but uh, I'm glad we're moving out of that because I do, there's a lot of healing and, and, and you know, being able to talk about your experience. And uh, there's a lot of growth I think that can happen because of that. Um, but I, you know, yeah, I think when you just kind of hold it all in, it's going to come out one way or another and not in a way you probably want. So, um, yeah, felt like it was a good sentiment to put in there. I mean, it's, I think it's brilliant. You're talking, I mean, you're talking about how we, we try to numb the pain with so many different things and we don't, Yeah, we don't discuss these things. And a lot of it is probably because of fear of rejection and yet you've experienced complete rejection and you've got your mother's eyes. Sure. <laughs> True. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, um, well, and I kind of say it like this, you know, once I came out and I, um, you know, I, I was depressed for a long time and uh, I didn't really know that I would ever be able to kind of crawl out of that. Um, just because I was always such a happy kid, you know, and I, I came from a very happy family and a very, um, I was very taken care of and didn't really have any worries at all. And then I came out and kind of my world fell apart and uh, all the support that I had known my whole life disappeared. Um, and so I got really depressed and um, I, you know, went through a few years of, of that. And after uh, a lot of therapy, um, you know, kind of found my way on the, to the other side of it. And that's when I started making music and, you know, so to kind of double back, you know, when I started writing for the first time, uh, I had a lot of people ask if I was going to be honest about my sexuality. And I was like, man, when you go through what I've been through, um, just emotionally and like, and, and, and have done the work to come out better on the other side and a lot of hard, terrible work, you know, to do that kind of thing. There's really nothing that you would ever do to kind of put yourself back into that space, right? Like you've done the growing, you're, you're on a different path now, a better one. Like there, there's really no going, going back. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I've found myself in the past five or six years is just kind of you know, trudging forward. <laughs> well, it's, it's been interesting because over the years there's been mis so many misconceptions, misunderstandings of what it actually means. And yet, where are the misunderstandings and the misconceptions of the heterosexuals? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think I know what you mean, but explain it to me. Meaning, in the documentary, the fact that you're gay, you have people in your life that don't want you to be around children. Sure. They have this assumption because it, it, is it a matter of not being educated or are they just an idiot or are they, I mean, I don't, I, I'm trying to understand yeah. why people behave and treat people a certain way. Um, well, it doesn't make sense to me. So, and I know my audience is not all my audience is familiar. Yeah. So I'm coming to you asking for education. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't think it's one thing, right? I think 
that there are definite catalysts to behavior and the way that people treat queer people. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, that can be ignorance. I think it can be a learned thing just passed down generationally, like what your parents believed, you believed. I think religion is a big catalyst for mistreatment of queer people. Um, and, and that is not, you know, singling out one. <laughs> you know, my experience was that I had Christian, treat, Christian people treat me very badly, um, even as I was a Christian, you know. Um, See, that's the but, thing, uh, Brandon. That's the thing that blows my mind. Yeah, because I mean, Christ, he was the last person to place any judgment on anything. It was the, it was the people around him. It, uh, yeah. help me out here. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I say this in the documentary and I say it a lot. It's complicated um, because I think these, I think that they think that they're doing the right thing and they're not, um, you know, and that's, that's a pretty verbatim quote from, from, you know, this documentary that just came out. Um, so I, I honestly, I have a, I have a heart for this. I really do. Um, because I was a part of that, you know, I, I was a part of that wheel at one point in time. You know, I had a, I had a roommate in college that lived with me for a while and uh, I kicked him out cause he was gay and he brought a guy home and I was still very closeted and, didn't want that in my house. And, you know, so I, you know, I kicked him out and I, you know, obviously regret that now and realized it, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do. But at the time, I really did think it was the right thing to do. You know, and I had a pastor that was telling me that was absolutely the right thing to do. And he was someone I trusted. So, you know, when you have just looking at that one experience, like you can see how these kind of attitudes get, you know, uh, you know, perpetrated or, you know, perpetuated over time and with different kinds of people in different groups. It's just like if you have this belief system and it gets solidified by people in your circle that you trust and respect, then you know you really do feel like you're doing the right thing, um, but you're not. And so you know that was kind of, um, you know, that's been one of the kind of tough things on the back end of you know my, my coming out experiences because I've had to, you know, a lot of my, you know, immediate family members still kind of hold the same, you know, beliefs that they did years and years ago, and they ha that hasn't changed at all, um, despite my experience, you know, and I, I've had conversations with them where, where and I'm sure a lot of people have had this, and it's mind-numbing, and it makes you feel crazy, and it makes you feel like you're being gaslit, but these conversations where, you know, you'll, I will try to explain my story and what I went through and how they were a part of that. And it's, and the response is very much like, well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm not sorry for anything that I did and I wouldn't change it if I had to do it all over again. But I hate that, you know, you cried a couple of times, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very weird. Um, and I have kind of narrowed that down into this, this belief that that kind of person will never be able to feel empathy for a gay person that had a terrible coming out experience, even if they were a part of it. Because at the end of the day, they still hold that belief that this is how you treat queer people. And it's bad, it's a bad thing. So, but they can't feel sorry for you. They can't feel empathy for the things that you've gone through because at the end of the, th at the, end of the day, they believe you got what you deserved. And I think that is, that is the, the, 
the hardest thing because I, you know, I, I want to build the bridge and I want to have the relationship. But when you realize that that is what is coming, what is coming to you, it makes it really hard to want to maintain a relationship like that. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of defaulted into this world where it's like, you know what, I can't control them. I can't control their worldview. I can't control the, you know, religious beliefs that they have, um, and how, you know, how they view me, uh, in their world. You know, I've had siblings tell me, you need to tell me, you know, where you, where you are with your relationship with Jesus. So I know how to treat you. Um, I can't think of anything more antithetical to Christianity right. than that statement. Um, tell me how your relationship is with Jesus so I know how to treat you. Um, I, it's just very, very odd. Um, and so I've, I've really kind of had to just kind of do this and be like, I, there's nothing I can do to change your worldview. Like that's completely up to you. Um, I've just spoken my truth. I've told you my experience and that's all I can do. And the rest is kind of up to you. Listen, if, if all the gay people are in hell. <laughs> Give me one hell of a party. <laughs> hey, what are they doing up there? Nothing. They're watching Seinfeld. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, they're listening to some pastor talk about, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's got to be challenging. And you know, it's not just sexuality. People in religious situations, when you leave that religion, you're ostracized sure. and considered, oh no, you've fallen away. We're so worried about you because there's this idea that, and that's what, that's what you've said, things are passed down. You have all this information passed down, the way things are supposed to be. And it's almost like we live in our lives kind of like this. Sure which why I believe you got to surround yourself with all of it For to, sure. learn, to learn, to I learn. Mean, I mean, it's, this is easy, right? Like living, living with a narrow view of the world and the way that you feel like it should be lived and you should live in it. That's very easy to look beyond the places that you grew up and the people that you know, and that you've known your whole life to, experience more and to learn more and to actively put yourself in uncomfortable spaces um, with people that you may not agree with, that is growth. And that is, I think, what is most desperately needed. Um, you know, and like, I, I laugh at myself all the time because, man, I, I say these things and then when I get in those spaces, I'm like, oh God, I hate to be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but I do it all the time. I purposely, I mean, and I'm saying this when I say all the time, I weekly, and then just, I put, I purposely put myself in uncomfortable situations and never have I ever left those places being like, I regret doing this thing. It's, I've always felt better for doing it. I've always felt like I've learned more that I am, am just a better version of myself when I'm stretched. Um, so yeah, uh, we, we got a lot of work to do, um, which is well, why I keep thinking about it. <laughs> I, I can't think anything more uncomfortable than doing CrossFit. Well, hey. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at your merchandise on your website. Coffee, <laughs> CrossFit, 
country music. There you go. There you go. The three yeah, C's. That, that I say that's the only thing that's been keeping me sane during the quarantine and just being able to kind of, you know, like do something yeah. that's not sitting at my computer or sitting with the guitar. So um, it's been it's been really helpful and I love it. Is, um, is, do you, is CrossFit hard? I've never tried it. it. Uh, it's as hard as you want to make it. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I, I'm, I'm lifting. I'm crossfitting yeah. right now. I think it, I think it's actually it's been so it's great because it's everything's so scalable, right? You just do what you can do. Yeah, uh, and I think that's awesome. So it's kind of like one you know one size fits all. I love it. Let's talk about your music for a minute. Okay. Basically, this first album that you have. Hometown was a single, but then you released an actual album, uh, Slow Down. Yeah. And you've got Slow Down, Never Know, Playing Games, Scared of Me, Man of Steel. Scared of Me, what does that mean? Yeah, so I wrote that song with my uh, my buddy who actually produced the record, Eric Halbeg in Nashville, uh, who works with Ty a lot. He produced Ty's record, yeah. So uh, we wrote that song together. I had started dating somewhat, someone at the time, and um, I came into the session, and, and I was telling Eric how good it was, and I was like, but I know me, and I'm going to fuck this thing up. <laughs> Uh, so we wrote this song called Scared of Me. Um, and it, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not one that I play a lot, but uh, I was always really proud that I wrote because I think it, it is very relatable um, to, you know, people that are, are, you know, in relationship or getting into something new and you want it to go well, but um, we know ourselves better than probably anybody. So um, we know all our flaws and how they can <laughs> jump up and bite us in the butt. So uh, that's kind of where that song came from. Isn't it interesting how we try to hide our flaws? And then, but I'll tell you, because I've been married a while. You hide your flaws, but they get to know you, and then they think they know you, and then it just gets worse. <laughs> it, gets, it gets better, it gets better, but you have absolute, uh, I'm sure you've discovered it, you have absolutely no secrets eventually. Oh yeah. So it's no. like, we have a phrase, keep it sexy, we stopped saying that a couple of years ago. <laughs> You're like, it's a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even think I can write the song now. <laughs> my, my wife has stayed sexy. Me, on the other hand, uh, I, I'm oh, not in the gym. Yeah. I should be crossfitting and coughing, so. Oh my gosh, well you have to try it and let me know how it goes. There's a lot of great uh, gyms there in Nashville. I, I recommend, what part of town are you in? Well, we go to Quantum Fitness. Okay right there in West End, because we're in West End, it's right off Broadway. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, uh, there's a CrossFit gym on that side of town called On The End, I think. Um, the owners are great, uh, you should try it out. There's also uh, a rebranded CrossFit gym on the east side that I was just, uh, when I was flying back from seeing you that I had, uh, that I had dropped into called uh, Urban Fitness, that's really mm. good, so. That's awesome. Some good, some good so, so everybody listening, when you're in Nashville, you know the best fitness places to go to. Yeah, there Brandon, you go. Brandon knows it. So, hey, well, um, one thing I want to do kind of here at the end is I like to ask my guests to think far ahead 200 years from now when we are gone. Okay. 
What do you hope people remember about you, Brandon? What is it that you're hopeful you can you can do here? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I was uh, on my friend Courtney Coles. She does a podcast too called The Love Freak. And uh, we did this. So I interviewed with her last week and I ended up just saying something that I had never said before, but I realized that it was kind of like beginning to be like my mantra running, running forward. Um, and that was love yourself enough or care about yourself uh, enough to be yourself. Um, and I, I got to that point where it was just, we were talking about, you know, she was asking me questions about, um, you know, what would you tell someone who's like struggling to, you know, to come out or, you know, who, who knows maybe their family won't react very well or who's scared that they'll, you know, lose, um, you know, lose these people or these kinds of relationships. And it really just kind of like got me into this, moment and it just came out and I said I would tell them to care about themselves enough to be themselves and I just if I had to leave this world and someone uh, you know someone remembered one thing about me or one thing I said I hope it's that um, you know I uh, music is simply a vehicle to get these messages out into the world um, I obviously love music and I love country music and it's what I enjoy doing most but when I came out my life fundamentally changed uh, because of that experience. And to know that, uh, you know, 10 years ha has passed and kids are still going through that, those same sort of experiences. Um, and, you know, that, that's tough. Um, and it's something that I think that I can help, uh, you know, make better um, and make that path easier for people. Um, because it really is tough. And I remember what it's like to consider you know, being so scared that I was going to lose my family and lose my friends. And, you know, uh, I did, I lost them all. I, you know, I, uh, there, there, I have very few relationships that are still, you know, intact there, but man, I found a community of people that love me for me. They celebrate me for, you know, the, the things I'm doing and the mark I'm making on the, you know, on the world. Um, and, uh, and they, and they, they love all the pieces of me. Um, and, uh, those are better. Those relationships are just better. Um, they, uh, they're just stronger and they're not conditional and, um, they're just better. And, and I know, so I know it's tough. Um, but, uh, I think, I think my experience is, is an extreme. I don't think that all people go through this. Uh, I definitely not. I, I know I'm, you know, probably the person in my friend group that had experiences like this, but um, I would just tell these kids um, that all you, you know, love yourself enough, you know, to be yourself and, uh, and everything else, you know, hopefully the other people come, come around eventually. Um, but if they don't, you're still going to be living and, and you're going to be you. And, and yeah. that's, that's the most important thing, you know, um, you being honest with you. That is beautiful. When is for youth that are in this situation, when, when do you feel is the best scenario for this? Is there, is there a good scenario over a worse scenario of coming out? 
Well, you know, I think it's, it's tough. Right. And I always tell people that there's not a right or wrong way to do it. And there's not a right or wrong time to do it. And I think it's complicated. It really is. Um, you know, because I, I was 22 when I came out, I was finishing up college. I had a semester left, but I knew, you know, that if I, when I came out that my parents would cut me off financially and they did. And I ended up having to pay for my last semester in college, um, all on my own. But at that time, I had a job for the first time that I could actually, but before that, I didn't. So it's like, if I had come out a year prior, um, I would I would have had a, it would have been different. I can't say how it would have turned out, but it would have definitely been much different. Uh, at 22, I had a job. I had a, you know, I had support um, that wasn't my, you know, family. I had uh, other people that knew I was gay and that were gay and, you know, that I could talk to and felt supported by so that when I came out and had that big fallout, um, I had some, emo I had emotional support. Um, so I think you just have to, I think, you know, everyone ha has to decide for themselves uh, the, the best time, the right time, um, and the safest time, you know, yeah. because, and, and when all of those things align, you know, that's your moment. I always credit uh, kids that just come out because they are honest and they want to be honest with about who they are with the people they love. I, I think that's beautiful and probably the bravest thing that anyone can do. I was, like I said, I was 22 and I had been dating someone for a year before I came out and I kind of give him all the credit because, you know, I, I just loved him so much that it got hard to like lie about dating him you know people would ask, well you guys seem close he's your friend or I mean, he's just a friend you know and like after a year of that you get it's just you start to feel like a shitty person right you're like wait i can't diminish this relationship anymore so um finally after you know dating him for a year i told my family about uh, you know i came out to my family um so it kind of took being in love to kind of push me out um so I'm always in awe when people, you know, when kids today are just, they just come out, you know, just because they're brave enough to do that. I don't credit myself with that kind of bravery. So, um, but yeah. You've been extremely brave and it's been so inspiring to watch your journey. And, it, you know, we're all, you know, everybody who's listening, follow brandonstancel.com because to watch your amazing journey, you know, I see you getting CMA awards and Grammys and you're just getting started, man. And you've done so much already. And I think 200 years from now, your laugh will be echoing through eternity. <laughs> One, well, it was funny. I had a, a friend in New York tweet this week who I hadn't seen in a, years and years. And he had watched the documentary and he was like, he said, it was so good just to hear that laugh again. <laughs> yeah. You just need to record that laugh. It'll go viral. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, hey, thank you so much. You are all heart, man. We love you. And if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. It was so good to talk to you. It was good to run into you at the airport so we could get yes. this going, man. <laughs> all right, brother. Everybody watch Three Chords and a Lie. It's been said in Nashville that a country song is three chords and the truth. But Brandon is changing the game. So thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All Heart with Paul Cardall goes beyond the typical interview podcast to dive deep into life's biggest issues. Born with a congenital heart defect and a heart transplant recipient, 
Paul has a unique perspective that facilitates powerful, educational, and engaging conversations about overcoming obstacles and making the impossible possible.